You know, uh, there are certain words that translate throughout the whole world, and, and they're the same here as they are uh, in other parts of the world. And uh, we were at the house of, uh, in Haiti, at the house of the lady that um, we were building the, the uh, roof over, you know, for her house. Uh, she completely did not have a roof. Uh, it was completely torn off. Um, she had, like, pieces of wood up there. I think there was just a small portion in the very front, and the rest kind of had, uh, like, wind-torn tarps, and uh, it was just a mess in there. Um, they just had uh, days of rain, and uh, so there were, there were uh, puddles of water inside of the house itself, and they were all living in a shack um, that was, um, I don't know, Randy, what would, what would you say, maybe... 10 by 5, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It was just small. and um, But it was it, not only that. Okay, so the, the um, woman, uh, Nulita, that uh, lived there along with her daughter and um, other family members, um, she had just gone through so much. She had um, lost her husband a couple years back. Um, he had been murdered. Um, and then there were um, other, as she was explaining, other family members that had, had died in the last, uh, you know, the recent time, the recent, whether it be a year or a few years. Um, she had a, a number of people that had passed in her family. So she was very, very sorrowful. She was, um, she was joyful at the same time, but she, that was the one thing that was really on her heart. And so she wanted to communicate that as uh, I was asking through our translator, Seraphin, who is the pastor of um, uh, their Calvary Chapel, you could say, Ducis and Marcier. And um, so she wanted to communicate that to us as I was asking her, you know, about her family. And um, that was one of the, I had taken a picture with her in, in one of the pictures. I don't know if we had it up. I think we did have it up on Sunday. Um, so that's what was going on in that family. Um, her daughter, um, she's an adult, and um, she's pregnant. And um, there was a, a time when we were outside, and I, I, it was the last day, I believe, that we were going to be there. And, and yeah, actually it was because on Sunday she had gotten up and um, she had expressed her gratitude to everyone, House Hops for Haiti, and everyone who was there. Um, so it was that Sunday service, and Pastor Seraphin had given them an opportunity to say whatever or whoever you know wanted to speak and and uh, say anything you know toward us. And she was one of the the people who stood up and said a few things, and um, she was just uh, overwhelmed. Um, and you could tell there's this there was this radiance um, that just uh, emanated from her, just this joy that um, had nothing to do with her circumstances. In fact, it transcended her circumstances. Um, the the way they live and all of that, that's normal to them. But at the same time, it's nothing that you and I um, would ever come to imagine that we would live in. Um, so on the next day, on Monday, um, she, um, the woman's daughter who is pregnant, um, was just saying a few things to us and expressing again just how she was really thankful and we were telling her, you know, that was very nice what you said and we were thankful to be here and we were blessed by just being here. And um, she just, she started just 
crying out. And it wasn't to us. It wasn't to anyone there. She just started crying out and, and uh, really glorifying the Lord. And it was all to the Lord. And she started crying. And again, she was just overwhelmed. And uh, then I, I don't know if it was like a family member or uh, a friend or a sister that was behind her, but she was concerned, like, what, why is she crying? And so Pastor Seraphin had to tell her in Creole, oh, no, no, th- those are tears of joy. She's overwhelmed with joy and uh, total thankfulness to the Lord. And what she was saying is that um, the Lord loves her so much, and she's overwhelmed with just... Um, how the team was coming in and making sure that they had a roof over their head. And she was so thankful for all that he had done for them and, uh, and just knowing his faithfulness. And one of the words that needed no translation was hallelujah. That, that was the word. I mean, she was going and going and going, and just tears were flowing down her face, and her heart was just, uh, just open. And, uh, and she cried out, hallelujah. And I thought, wow, that's beautiful, that that word is universal. And you can say hallelujah here, and it means the same thing that it means in Haiti, the same thing that it means in France or England or wherever you go. It's, it's the same word, and it has the same meaning. And all praise and all honor and all glory go to God, and all praise belongs to Him. He is worthy of our praise. And um, so I was thinking of that as, as we were singing this song, and um, in thinking about our text this evening as we go into Leviticus chapter 26, um, how it is that even through the blessings and the cursings, you could say that we're going to go over, that God is always um, there. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never abandons us. And that's one of the things that really can reassure the believer. You see, even this section of Scripture is not addressed to anyone other than the children of God. Moses is speaking for God on his behalf to the children of Israel. And what the Lord is communicating to them and to us today is that there's blessings in obedience, but even if you disobey and you go through discipline and you go through the cursings that he promises um, if we are disobedient, that even though we go through all of that, he will never leave us, he will never abandon us. And that's quite amazing to a world that thinks otherwise, right? That you can reach a threshold in relationships and you can cross that threshold and never come back. There's issues of forgiveness everywhere, even within the church. And it's interesting that it's within the church because as we consider the character of God and how it is that He never abandons us, He never leaves us, and everything that we do to Him, no matter what it is and no matter how dark it can be, no matter if we we reject Him with true disdain and contempt, He's always there. That when we repent and we come back to Him and ask Him for forgiveness, He's there to embrace us with open arms and wrap us up in sweet fellowship with Him. So it's quite surprising within the church that it's there, but it is there. And I believe that we need to grow up and mature and and really understand who God is in our lives. That he who forgave us is really the example with all purity and all holiness to set for us to apply to our lives toward others. So that's what I see here. 
And the title is Blessings or Cursings, but Never Abandonment. And again, just going through the law, just going through these commandments and seeing God's mercy, His love, His patience, His grace even, all throughout, weave throughout Scripture. And it's no different here in this chapter. So hallelujah, praise and glory to God. He is worthy to be praised. And um, we're going to take a journey through this chapter. And uh, we're going to go through this one. And then uh, next week, uh, chapter 27, and we'll be done with Leviticus. And uh, then we'll go into Numbers. But uh, let's, let's bow our hearts before the Lord. And we'll get into this chapter. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, it is so encouraging that even when we are faithless, that you remain faithful. We just thank you for that. We ask, Lord, that as you are patient with us, that you would also be merciful toward us. For what we deserve, we do not get. And even what we do get, Lord, it's always wrapped up in your love. And Lord, we have received through Jesus Christ what we don't deserve. And that is eternal life, forgiveness. To be in your presence forever in all of your glory. And so Lord, remind us of those things as we study Leviticus chapter 26. Help us to see what you have for us to see and understand and apply to our lives. That we would be transformed by the renewal of our minds that comes through the understanding of your word. I pray that you would increase our faith even this evening. As faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so Lord, may we take the time to sit at your feet and listen to you here. And worship you, even in this moment, Father. That your spirit would give us understanding. And Lord, you would fill us with your spirit, Father. Give us eyes to see what you have for us to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So blessings are cursings, but never abandonment. Galatians 6-7, we know it very well. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The law of sowing and reaping is seen everywhere, in, in everything that we do. You get what you put into it. You give little, you get little. I mean, we, we know about these things. We see it uh, illustrated in every area of life. In regards to social life, I know that as kids we would like to believe something different. And I say yes because I remember those days. How it is that, you know, even... B.C. days, you could say, uh, my, my parents knew better, but I thought I knew better, but I guess God knows best, right? 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Same way Galatians 6.7 starts out, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's if you have good morals, bad company will ruin good morals, if you had bad, bad morals, then you'll just compound <laughs> the issues of bad morals, right? But that's what we see there. 
Finances, tithes, offerings, that's all in there too. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And then Malachi chapters 1, and you can go to chapter 3 as well. Um, really, there's a rebuke toward the leadership of the, uh, of, the, of, of the Israelites. And the rebuke that's coming across is that they are robbing God. And the promise, though, is that He would provide... For the person that is faithful. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. The apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Speaking of the joyful giver. How it is that that's what God is looking for. In each and every one of us. That, that we may be joyful givers. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That, by the way, is all are all illustrations of the law of sowing and reaping. There's much more to it, um, but in general, that's what we see there. And I've always told my kids that either way, they will reap what they sow. You sow disobedience, you reap the consequences in discipline and shame. Sow obedience, and you reap the consequences in blessings and honor. That's true, isn't it? And this evening, we see this laid out before the Israelites by God. There's a way in which a child of God demonstrates his love for the God he professes to love. You see, it's just not in word alone, but it has to be followed by action. Faith without works is dead. You know it, right? That's how we demonstrate our love. But just as true, he cannot overlook obedience toward him. He promises to bless those who obey Him, but also discipline those who don't. And by the way, the Bible tells us that God disciplines those whom He loves. Hebrews 12.6 But either way, God will not only reveal Himself to the world through the Israelites, but will glorify Himself regardless of what avenue they choose. It, It doesn't matter what they chose. God is still glorified. You see, they will be so blessed that the world will say that only God could have blessed them that much, or they are so cursed and yet still alive and still remain as a people. And the world will say only God can cause them to remain as a people. So let's first take a look at blessings. We're going to cover here, we're going to read um, the first 13 verses here in chapter 26 of Leviticus. Verse 1, you shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar. And you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season. And the land shall yield its increase. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you. 
and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke, and made you to walk erect. God begins this address to the Israelites by forbidding the manufacturing of certain things. It's really simple, right? Hey, listen, don't make idols for yourself. These images that you kind of are inclining to start putting together and start forming, don't do that. Pillars, yeah, don't, don't do that and fall before them and worship them. Yeah, don't do those things. Don't put them anywhere in your land. Nothing that they would be inclined to bow down to are they to shape, are they to form, are they to put together. So that's the first thing that the Lord touches on in this chapter. No idolatry. Do not worship anything or anyone. The Lord is saying, but me, I am the Lord your God. Besides me, there is no other. In this commandment, God was warning his people and implying that they would be inclined to worship a man-made image. That's what he's saying. Hey, listen, I, I know your hearts. I know your hearts better than you do. You can make a God out of anything. Refrain from doing that. Save yourself the trouble. Let's start out on the right foot. Make sure you, you don't do any of this. So he's implying, hey, he's warning his people. They would be inclined to worship man-made images. But whatever they build up, make, fashion, imagine. This is one thing that we need to understand, that it's deaf, mute, it's blind. His hands that cannot hold are worth nothing. Feet that cannot move cannot take you anywhere. It's just a statue. It's just a form. It has nothing of value, though. There's only one God, and He is not anywhere close to what we can design and manufacture with our own hands, no matter how amazing it is. And I know for us, we can can worship all kinds of things. We, um, We have these rockets now that we send into space and come back, and they they land now. I mean, we don't even, um, you know, we don't even waste the rocket. It goes up there and does what it needs to do, drops off uh, some, some equipment, and, and then, hey, it's back. I mean, you see it land on the pad. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. We have surgeons, brain surgeons, that can go in and, and fix things in our brain. Amazing. In our hearts. Replace. I mean, all kinds of things. But here's the thing is, sometimes the very thing that amazes other people is the very thing we worship. We hold that in high esteem, so high that we're inclined to worship it. Anything that takes... Here's the thing. Anything, you may not bow down to it physically, but you do in your heart. Anything that takes the place of the Lord is idolatry. Anything higher than Him. Anything. 
And so the Lord at the very beginning is warning them, hey, you're inclined to do this. I know your hearts. It's deceitful. It's wicked. Who can know it? You certainly cannot. So don't trust your heart. As the world says, hey, go with your heart. God is saying, warning, warning, warning. Don't go with your heart. Don't follow your emotions. Make sure that you stand upright with me. Follow the word and do what's right. It's interesting that in these, ver- two, these two verses, God refers to idols and also gives a command to keep or observe his Sabbaths and revere his sanctuary, the tabernacle, his dwelling place. So no idols, but revere and hold this above all things. Make sure that you observe rest in me, in fellowship with me. It's interesting because the one that people are mindful of is the one that will be honored and revered. Either the God that is made up in our minds and with our hands, or the one true God, the creator of the universe. But it's never, ever both. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and fill in the blank. You cannot. It's either one or the other. So he begins this way and then goes into obedience and the blessing of being obedient. He goes on to say, if, this is conditional, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will, and he goes on, and we listed them. We, we went through and we, we saw what they were. He tells of all kinds of great things that he will do for them. Rain for the trees and fields to produce fruit and grain. God will give peace, promises that they will live in the land securely without fear. God said he will remove the beasts of the land that may be a threat to their lives. Can you imagine that? Uh, you're going into a land and, and you see certain animals that the Lord is, is removing from the land that could be a threat to your lives. That, that is absolutely amazing. He says you will not be harmed by your enemies. And at the same time, very few of you, if you understand what I'm saying and you believe what I'm telling you, five of you will put a hundred of your enemies to flight. Just five. Just five. A hundred, ten thousand. There's ten thousand coming? I'll just send a hundred out. That'll be enough. Specific numbers are not important here. The point is, That with a little bit, as long as you're on God's side, is the majority. And there's power with Him. God said that He will make the people fruitful and multiply greatly. What provisions of food they have will be used until the new comes. You will not be without. Everything will last. God will dwell with them intimately, and He will not regard them nor handle them with disgust or hatred. You live in obedience with the Lord, and he, he won't look at you that way. God will regard them as His people, and He is their God. James 4.8 it reminded me of this. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And James goes on in the same verse. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This kind of speaks of the whole section of Scripture that we're going through this evening. And then some. 
as we will see as we continue how if there is a cleansing through confession and repentance, then there will be a renewal. There, there will be a restoration. There will be a blessing. And we go through that. We go through obedience, disobedience, and then repentance is the last section that we go through. That's something that is always true in a relationship with the Lord. Remember that there is, there's blessing, there's cursing, but there's never abandonment with the Lord for the true child of God. That's why there's a story of the prodigal son. Because as he came back, the father runs out. This is a picture, by the way, of, of God running out to us. You know, we always kind of focus in on the prodigal son himself, and that, that's all great. But really, the main character here is the father. As he's running out and embraces the son and brings him in. That's true of all of us that are his. If you think about it, this very promise that God made to his people happened. This thing with the whole, you know, 10 will send 100 fleeing and and 100, 10,000. This happened in the Bible. Think about Gideon's 300. You know how many Midianites, 300, sent fleeing? How many uh, they defeated? 135,000. 135,000. I love that. Oh, man. The mentality of a, of a warrior knowing that we are fighting with the Lord. Um, you can't hold him back. Jonathan and his armor bearer defeated a whole Philistine army. And let us not forget how it was that young David ran at Goliath and killed him. He whacked off his head, raised it up. Can you imagine? The young kid. All of these blessings and promises are great and demonstrate God's greatness. But nothing compares to the actual fellowship that he was promising. All these things, you know, I'll be fruitful. You'll be fruitful. You'll multiply You'll have enough food. You'll have plenty of provision for you and your whole family, of ev- for everyone. But all of that pales in comparison to what the Lord promises, and that is fellowship with them. There was a special relationship that Israel would enjoy with God if they were to just obey. Oh, there's this sweet fellowship that we enjoy with Him. A clear conscience, standing right before the Lord. You can't beat that relationship. That is more valuable than anything else that he can bless us with. Material, financial, even health. All of that pales in comparison to that intimate relationship that we enjoy with the Lord as we are right with him. It is recorded in the Bible that other nations would hear of the greatness of the God of Israel and what he had done for them that they would be in awe. We think of Solomon, how it is that the nations around were in awe. They wanted to come and they wanted to take a tour of Israel. We want to see how the Lord has blessed you. It all brings glory to God through his people. And then verses 11 through 13, I want to read again. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. 
And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. These words serve as a reminder that God is for his people. Sometimes we need that reminder, especially when we begin to blame God for certain things that we're going through. You know, we start doubting or asking for explanations from the Lord, as if he owes us an explanation, right? We need to be reminded that God is for his people, and he is their deliverer. He wanted to remind the Israelites, hey, remember that I delivered you out from under slavery in Egypt. I am your deliverer. I am your hope. I am your strength. There is no one greater. There is no one stronger. There is no one that can stand up to me. And I am for you. It's this wonderful reminder. We love because he first loved us. When we understand that there is true and there has been true victory in Jesus Christ. And we're reminded of those things. That very truth. That very fact. It allows us to put things in proper perspective. That we be, when we begin to doubt, when we perhaps fall into compromise, that we can quickly snap out of it and ask for forgiveness, repent, confessing our sins to the Lord and asking Him to forgive us of our sins. The Word tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It takes just a moment of realizing, recognizing, and then acting on that. When we know who he is in our lives. He's saying, hey, listen, the captives had been, have been set free from slavery and you were being called. They were being called to walk in that freedom and liberty in fellowship with God. It kind of sounds like New Testament believers, doesn't it? If you think about it. Like, wow, you've come to set the captives free. And he did. But... Or you can say and, because this was coming as well. Let's continue on with verse 14. Now we're going to read through verse, uh, verses 14 through 39. The reason why I'm not going through the specifics, by the way, um, because really, um, if we were to break down like these specifics within like the blessings, you, you would miss the, the, what is it? Miss the forest for the trees? The trees for the forest, Right. It's like you'd miss it. So the point is, it's not the individual specifics within the text, but it's the overall picture. What it was that God was communicating to the Israelites, okay? All right, so verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, and fever that consumes the eyes and make the heart ache. And you will sow your seed in vain, for your enemy shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power." 
And I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number, so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me. And please note that each one of these is always if you do not turn to me. But walk contrary to me. If, if, if you're not willing, the whole purpose of this is to turn to God. <laughs> Please pay attention to what's going on, right? Verse 24, Then I also will walk contrary to you, and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake, bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself would discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheathe the sword after you. And your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths, as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. And as for those who are left... I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight. And they shall flee as one flees from the sword. And they shall fall when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. And you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left... Shall, not, shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity, and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. And what a description there. I mean, so fearful, so powerless. He's saying if, if you take it that far, even a little rustling leaf will send you, send you fleeing running away, like as if a multitude of your enemies are after you, pursuing you. Faintness of heart. You will lose completely your, your power. And the Lord was bringing this warning, though, upon the children of Israel. He didn't desire this for them. But there was a purpose to it all. 
If they're disobedient, then these promises will not be done by the Lord toward them that were described in the first 14 verses or 13. And not that these promises just will not happen, but even the opposite will take place. They won't be blessed, but God will discipline them and even harshly if necessary. Let's take a a little bit of a closer look at verses 14 and 15. I know we just read them, but let's read them once more. But if you will not listen to me, step one, step two, and and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, number two, and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, and he goes on. You see, what we have here is a progression that God is warning them of. By the way, when God gives us warning, they're they're for us to heed, for us to recognize, to us to consider. Because these communicated warnings serve the people in order to recognize when they are on this path and repent of them thereof. Right? It's like these things. We want to know about... Um, the consequences of our sins and what we could fall into. How it is that we can identify if we're in the wrong place. Why? So that we could confess, that is, agree with God, and then repent of those things and come back to the right path, that straight and narrow path. That's why he places them there. He says, if you will not, this is also conditional. And he goes through, number one, if you don't listen to me. Number two, if you spurn my statutes. And number three, if you abhor my rules. They're they're all in succession. They're all in progression. And they're all listed out, by the way, in what we read. Initially, it's kind of a light discipline, but it progresses. If Israel progressed in their rebellion and not repent, God said that he would progress in the intensity of the curses toward them. The best point at which to confess and repent is when they realized that they were not really listening to God. Number one, not listening. This doesn't mean that they were in just um, utter rebellion toward God. But they were beginning to go down this path of indifference toward him. They were beginning to disregard him. They were beginning to justify why they could or could not do some of the things that he had commanded them to do and not do. This is a great point. This is one of the things that we need to understand as a church, as individuals. You see, no one's going to stand in your place at the time of judgment. We are all going to face the Lord. For us, it's not a judgment of condemnation, but it is a judgment of loss or of gain. And everything for gain is to glorify the Lord. But we will be judged. This is a great point and something to recognize in our lives that when we start justifying that everything that comes out of our mouth is only to justify what we can't or why we do what we do, all in compromise. Beware. This is the first thing that the Lord was warning the Israelites that they were falling into compromise and would only progress over time. 
get worse. It doesn't get better from here. Because from there, there would be the spurning of God. If the people didn't repent at that point, then their hearts would continue to another level of hardness, you could say, of callousness that is more serious. To spurn is to reject with disdain and contempt. It's to reject, to push away. It has to be deliberate deliberate at this point. A rejection. A conscientious rejection that belittles and disregards the very God who loves them and desires to dwell with them and bless them. It's, it's like a father or a mother or someone who comes around and, and desires to embrace and come near to someone else, especially our children. And they conscientiously reject and disregard and push away. Oh, but the Lord, He loves us like no one else can imagine being loved. To spurn, they would disregard God's pursuit of them, His deliverance of them from slavery, and they would trample underfoot the love, grace, and mercy that they had been given. And that happens with us too. That's why I'm telling you, as as we're reading this, as we're studying it, it's so applicable, it's so relevant to today. We can apply it, just step one, step two, step three, it's all there. But then there is something much more serious, and that is the soul that abhors God's commands, His Word, His very Word. Regarding God's Word with utter disgust and even hate, This is not just rejection of God's commands, but an actual disgust and hatred toward them, and even Him. If you you, uh, regard uh, His Word and His His commandments and everything with hate, if you look at it that way and disgust, then you're rejecting and you consider God in the same manner. And this comes through the initial disobedience of subtle compromise. Hitting that slippery slope and not correcting your course. And so many times people think that uh, just a little deviation won't hurt. It doesn't won't hurt anyone. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It does hurt. It does impact. It impacts others around you too. Them first, the individual first, yes, and then others. Because if you can consider, as far as the Israelites are concerned, how many people will they bring down with them? Many. It's all recorded in the Bible how it is that this very thing that they were warned of happened to them. For them, their indifference grew into uh, rejection and then a disgust and a hate toward the very thing and person once professed, they professed to love and honor. They could say all they wanted with their mouths, but their action did not match what they professed with their lips. This is seen in relationships with God, but it is also illustrated in marriages that are sacred to God and are to be honored. If you think about it, this This relationship 
um, of marriage is sacred between a husband and a wife. It demonstrates and it illustrates the relationship between the groom and the bride, Jesus Christ and his church. And if the, the bride treats the groom in this manner, and this is the very path that we too as God's people can go down. The marriage is sacred and it's to be honored. It's to be kept. It's to be nurtured. Now as far as the curses are concerned, God's word was true. And shamefully, these are a part of Israel's history. They have been defeated by their enemies. They have been exiled. They have been put into slavery. The land being desolate and having experienced even disease, the people themselves. They come together. They may congregate. They think that they're strength in numbers. But God said, I will visit you even in that time. Even cannibalism. Let me give you a few verses. This was true. Second Kings chapter 6, verses 26 through 29. You can read it for yourself, but it's there. God's word is true. We should never take it lightly. The term... Uh, the phrase, strike you sevenfold for your sins. Uh, I know sometimes we can get so uh, wrapped up, you know, in the specifics that we, again, we miss the point. It's not meant to be a mathematical equation that is figured out, but rather a perfect discipline that God applies to his people and is to be responded to. And here's the thing, if not, then it progresses. That was the whole warning Life will be hard. Everyone will be impacted by the sin of disobedience of the people. Even the livestock in the land itself will suffer. And there will be utter devastation and defeat. And yet, and yet, through this all, the people will survive as a people, as God's people. And I know that some people don't want to hear that God judges disobedience. In that sometimes the very things that happen to a nation are not because God is judging the nation that turns its back on him, but is this not evidence of the fact that he does judge? Is not Sodom and Gomorrah evidence of his judgment on a godless people? Is not the near judgment of Nineveh evidence that God's judgment comes if the people do not repent? Listen. Of course, we don't want to hear about judgment because this nation knows that it is guilty of turning its back on the very God that blessed this nation. But we have perverted the grace of God into licentious living that denies, rejects, and even abhors Him and His commandments and His word. We've completely turned our backs on the God who brought us together in this nation. And I, I hear about devastations in other lands, and then some poor pastor gets up and says, well, that could be judgment. Oh, how dare you say that? That is, 
That is so wrong of you to say that that could be the judgment of God on that nation. Well, then you explain Sodom and Gomorrah. You explain how it was that God was going to bring judgment on Nineveh. (laughs) Poor Jonah. I mean, he was a reluctant prophet, right? But they repented. Unfortunately, we are a nation that no longer fears him. We, we truly need to confess our sins and repent of our sin of disobedience. What God promised for the children of Israel is, is true for his people today. It may not be exactly to this, because this, is, this was specifically for Israel. So I'm not saying that, that this is exactly how it will happen with the church. God is sovereign. He can do it however he pleases. And he can do it sevenfold. That means perfectly, Right? So let's talk about repentance, though, because that's really important for us to understand. Let's continue on, verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them, and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled, and they make amends for their iniquity, And I will remember my covenant with Jacob. And I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Repentance. Second Chronicles 7.14 if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This brings us to God's promise of relenting, drawing his hand back and amazingly, even blessing them in their repentance. You mean, God, you're still there? You mean, God, I haven't turned my back and rejected you and uttered hatred toward you enough for you to just turn your back on me? No. There's no amount of darkness that we can go into that His light cannot shine in. There's no place that His hand cannot reach and grab a hold of us when we turn to Him. This, you see, this brings us to God's promise of relenting and even blessing them in their repentance. This is, this is God's escape clause. What is it? Repent and believe. Re- repent and believe who I am. 
What we see in these last verses is God's mercy, his faithfulness, and his love and grace. In that not only do they not get what they deserve fully, but there is a restoration that is to take place and and even a blessing that he's promising them. But this also did not mean that they would be given the land back and brought into it immediately upon repentance. Sometimes we think that, right? Even the Israelites. He's saying, listen. Now, if you repent, if you confess, if you ask me for forgiveness, I will forgive you. I will not abhor you. I will not spurn you like you did me. But at the same time, you're not going to quickly go back into the land that you once dwelt in. But you will be safe right where you're at. God promised that he would give his land some rest that they did not give it. That he would restore the land just as he restored them. And then bring them back into it. But God would also follow through with the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his people would never be forsaken by him. And all peoples would be blessed through his people. And who is that? All the way through his seed, Abraham's seed, with a capital S, is the Messiah. Jesus Christ himself. All nations would be blessed. We started out this evening talking about the law of sowing and reaping. And what we need to understand is that for every action, there is a reaction. We will be judged for every thought, word, and action. And that is true. But let us not confuse the stewardship of the physical, the material, the finances that God has entrusted to us. Resources that he's given to us with God's spiritual sovereignty toward us. That is to say that just because we do one thing doesn't mandate God to bless us with financial, material, or physical, or our health. It, it doesn't mandate, it doesn't put him in the place to where he has to do these things in the way that we think that he has to do them. Otherwise, I'd be talking about health, wealth, and, you know, if you do this, then you'll get that. Right? But do remember this. That remember that Jesus bore our curse upon himself on the cross. That even us as Gentiles would benefit from the blessings of Abraham. That his righteousness would come. Eternal life would come by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ that he is the son of God. But let us also not disregard the rod of discipline that God extends toward those who are his and whom he loves because it is his discipline. Although unpleasant for a season is what the word tells us, produces what is good and desirable. Let us also understand that if we repent of sin, although we are forgiven, there are still the consequences that we are to endure and go through. But at the same time, know that we are forgiven and right before the Lord. In the end, God commands obedience, warns of the consequences of disobedience, but he will never leave us. He will never, never abandon us, even when we are faithless. And to that we say, hallelujah, praise God for that. He is faithful and he draws us unto himself 
by the love that he has for us. It's like that, that's what really draws us to the Lord. It's not all these things, you know, if you, if you do this and you get that and, you know, there's, there's that side, of course, you know, as far as hell is concerned. But quite honestly, that's not what draws us to the Lord. It's his love for us. And that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What? Greater love has no one than to lay his, his life down for a friend, right? And he laid his life down for a bunch of people who were still his enemies. He shed his blood. And he died in our place. He is our victory. And that's the love that as, I, I remember that as I saw that love, as I come to, came to understand it, that he died in, in my place, even though I didn't deserve it, although I was still completely against him in my sin, that's what drew me to him. His love drew me to him. And I pray that his love would draw us to obedience because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. They're not burdensome. They're a proper response to the love that he first demonstrated to us. Father, thank you for demonstrating your love toward us in sending your only begotten Son to die in our place. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I pray, Lord, that as we do receive your promises of blessing, as we demonstrate our love for you by our obedience, that we are also mindful of those, those warnings, the signposts that tell us when we're going down the wrong path. Lord, help us to be quick to confess our sins, to repent of those sins, and to come back on that narrow path with you, to walk hand in hand in fellowship, in intimacy with you. We know that you desire that. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a true zeal for you, a passion and a love that will never allow us to stay on that path of compromise, but always come back to that place with you that is sweet. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.